without, without any other delay, I'd like to get into the word of the Lord. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter number 24. While you're turning there, Brother Judah Williams. Does anybody know him? I know at least one person does. She's his little boo thing. Brother Judah Williams will be preaching right here on Tuesday. You don't want to miss it. Brother Evan Hood, Evan and Stephanie Hood will be here next Sunday. Brother Evan Hood got saved in this church as a 14-year-old boy, now pastoring an incredible church uh, in Nevada. He will be preaching here next Sunday. So it's going to be phenomenal. Going to have a great time. Uh, make sure you're telling people about this and getting them to the house of God in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter number 24 and starting in verse number four, just two verses of scripture here. Now, this is really gonna be a little bit more teaching. Brother Darian, leave him alone so I can preach to him. Uh, Brother Darian's gonna mess up until he gets on that plane or whatever he's in, a casket. I mean, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm, I, something really struck my funny bone. Brother Austin, would you raise your hand? I said, why are you dressed like that? He said, I just came in from hunting. Now, I have to, I have to honor that, that a guy was willing to climb out of a tree stand and make it to the house of God. Hope you're listening to that out there in live stream land. But that just, that just really hit me. That really got me. All right. Matthew chapter 24 is infamous in that it talks about end time events. More cogently and more descriptively than any of the other accounts that are found in the New Testament, which would include Mark chapter number 13 and Luke chapter number 21. Those are all harmonies of the gospel. They all describe essentially the same thing where Jesus is talking about end time events that affect Jerusalem, most notably the temple, but Jerusalem the Jews, and the end of the world, his second coming. It's all in here in Matthew chapter 24, okay? So this is the beginning of his discourse in verse number four. Look at the very first thing that Jesus said that will be an indicator of this hour and these times. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. That is the number one danger of the hour that we are living in, is that we would somehow be deceived. Okay? Let's look at verse number five. For many shall come in my name. So it will be, this is a particular type of deception. It's not a deception about Buddha. It's not a deception about Islam. It's not a deception about some social program, and it has to do with Jesus. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So the warning from Jesus before he begins this incredibly detailed discourse 
is he's warning us about deception. And he also indicates to us that there are many that will be deceived. But I want everybody to repeat after me, not me. By the grace of God, not me. Now let's go to the book of Galatians. The church at Galatia, this is a letter of instruction that was written by the Apostle Paul. One of the absolutely earliest books to be written in the New Testament was the book of Galatians. We're going to go to chapter number one, and we're going to start reading in verse number three. The Apostle Paul, in his opening salutation, says, Grace be to you and peace from God, the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel. Now, this is the Apostle that started this church in Galatia. Galatia was not a city, it was a region. The Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys was familiar, very familiar with this part of the world. I marvel, I'm amazed that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Everybody said another gospel. Let's say that again, another gospel. Act like you just had a four-shot espresso, another gospel. All right, I know you're out there. Look at verse 7, which is not another. Somebody said, well, deception is only alive in the end times. Ladies and gentlemen, deception began even during the days of the apostles, yea, even during the time of Jesus, there were people that were trying to denigrate and minimize his impact in ministry. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, an intelligent, educated, 21st century American citizen I know we think we already understand what this is saying. But just stay on board with me. The Apostle Paul begins to qualify this. Look at verse 8. But though we or an angel from heaven Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. The Apostle Paul is saying, if I come back to you, you already recognize me as a, as a true apostle, apostle. You already recognize me as a true, the father, the spiritual father of many of these congregations. You already accept me. You already recognize my position and my calling. But if I come back preaching something different, than what I first preached to you, that I am to be accursed. Look at verse nine. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, 
than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I want to talk to us for a few moments about no other gospel. No other gospel. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you for the abundance of all things. Thank you for these wonderful people that are here today. People of God, word of God, spirit of God. Incredible atmosphere that is here. God, we pray for a spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of him to operate freely in every heart and in every life. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There is no question we experienced Generation X, Generation Y, and even Generation Z. I don't even know what generation we're in today, just whatever you want it to be, I guess. But sociologists are telling us that make no mistake about it, we are all a part and parcel of what is known as the information age. And there are, just like there are discernible dispensations throughout the Bible and even covenants that help us understand times in which God dealt with humanity. In a broader sense, in a secular sense, in a sociological sense, there are different ages in which mankind has existed on the face of the planet. There was definitely the agricultural age. And then there was a revolution that took place somewhere during the 19th century where machinery, steam-operated machinery, even before the advent of electricity, that there was a different advent that took place and it endured beyond World War I, even into World War II. And then there was the technological age that existed after the advent of the television, movies, entertainment, telephone and telemedia and all the things that went with that. And today, we are on the shores of the information age in which information is transmitted faster than the human brain can even think. Some say that we are on the verge of AI, which is artificial intelligence. There are a lot of voices that are claiming that this is a very fearful time for the human race um, because of that. But make no mistake about it, we are in the information age. There are 8.5 billion Google web searches every single 24 hours. 8.5 billion. An average American today spends six hours and 40 minutes per day online. This is where the human race has chosen to get their information. 
we can shake our heads and act like it's not a reality, but ladies and gentlemen, the statistics speak otherwise. The average American spends six hours and 40 minutes. I'm going to calculate into that that there's a lot of people are doing that with their employment, but nonetheless, it purely backs up and reinforces the fact that we are firmly in the information age. There are 23 billion text messages sent every single day. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't want it to be said that anybody in this congregation has their iPhone on right now. You say that's controlling, I say no. That's me preferring the presence of God over some man-made artifact. Can we all agree to turn our iPhones off and give God, I think it's an insult to deity to feel like I cannot make it through an hour without checking to see if somebody likes me on Instagram. Is our self-esteem and our self-worth so rooted in man-made devices and a man-made culture, not recognizing that you're already worth a savior? Oh my goodness, don't get me started on that. Oh. There are 343 billion emails sent every single day and again, I'm gonna have to credit some of that to the workplace and people just being at work, but nonetheless, it gives you a sense of the enormity of how much people are dependent upon this kind of a thing. The average person spends 3.5 hours a day on their smartphone. That has become the source of choice for people to get their information. Listen to this one, 4.9 billion people are using social media. That is a little over half of the world's population. A little over half of the world's population is on social media. That's amazing. Facebook has 3.3 billion users. Instagram has 2.3 five billion users, and Twitter is struggling with 450 million users for Twitter. So we are firmly in the information age. I look at this as a spiritual practitioner and a pastor, and I realize if there was ever a day that we should not be ashamed or should wither under the pressure of the culture that all of us are in, it is today. Our responsibility as the children of God is to be both illuminated and translucent in that we not only have the power of illumination within us, but we are also prepared to let that illumination shine in the midst of a dark world. I believe that the only thing that is going to navigate the church in this hour is not going to be the church on YouTube. It is not going to be some presentation online. I believe it is going to be the word of God. I believe the word of God is going to be the, the true indicator of our direction and where we are in this hour. I really hope that you don't get to the place where you click your off button 
and say, you know, I've heard this all before and I already know this. But knowing it intellectually is different from it being an everyday understanding and comprehension of realizing that the word of God is going to be, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, it's going to be a lamp. It's going to be a lamp under my feet and a light under my path. It's going to be dark. It's going to get so spiritually dark in our world. But ladies and gentlemen, you and I have illumination, and this illumination is available to everybody. We do not have a corner on the market. It is for everybody. I believe there's going to be entire denominations that come to this. I believe there's going to be entire churches that are going to come to this. I believe there's going to be entire nations that come to this. I believe that we are entering the most exciting time that the church has ever been on the face of the planet. It's... I believe that with all my heart. I feel so privileged to be here. I feel like it's an honor that God saved the best for last. Clap your hands and give God the praise. I really do believe that. I really do with everything that is in me. But with that being said, we have an incredible responsibility to have the right answers, and to point into the right direction. In our text that we read here, I've already talked about Matthew chapter number 24, where Jesus talks an incredible, if we had time to go through it, we would. We don't have time. It's vast, it's deep, it's wide, but it's basically describing end time events, wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, we're all being subjected to that. Earthquakes in diverse places. And then he talks about the great tribulation. But he begins his discourse by a, of a warning against deception. And it is a certain kind of a deception. One says, I'm representing Christ and they're over here. Another one says they're representing Christ and they're over there. We are living in a culture where it seems like our entire culture is caught up in an interesting, and I'm doing kind of a sublimal study on all this stuff. It's called the shiny object syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? It's a shiny object syndrome in which people that become restless and, and have to be titillated. They, they, they become titillated by um, a shiny object or something new, or, and they are, they are motivated by those types of things. And you are seeing a proliferation of this syndrome even in our culture. It's not just because people have OCD and people have ADD or whatever the situation may be. Those are all sociologically generated kind of deals. There's a whole deal I have on this where those things didn't even exist years ago. But they're existing and they're all coming to the forefront in this culture because of the, it's, it's a cultural thing. All of these things are reverberating now, and they're all putting names on it, and people identify with that, and so people buy into that. And when they buy into that, there's voices attached to that, and that molds and shapes how people think. And so they, they and, 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 and it's just the way it is. But I tell you, when you obey the gospel, that, that, those, that is shattered off of you, that is broken off of you. 
if there is a family curse in your life, a people that gave themselves to these things, that is broken off of a person. My God, there's people under the sound of my voice. I'm following the Holy Ghost right now that you feel like you're subjected to a family curse. When you are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, that family curse is broken off of your back and broken off of your... And for the rest of your life, that family now is under the blood and is liberated by the power of God. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. But the verity of that reality makes it so much more our responsibility because you have the answer. You might be sitting here today and you might be struggling over a variety of different struggles in your life. Maybe, maybe you're just struggling to push back the perimeter of the flesh. You know it's wrong. You're doing stuff that's wrong. You realize that the flesh, Paul said it best in Romans chapter 7, when I do good, the flesh is pre- evil is present with me. You can't seem to get away from it. And you're dealing with that. Then you have people struggling with the world. And they, you know, man, I just, I just, I like this and I don't want to give it up. But God wants to replace it with something supernatural. If you'd be willing to lay down the natural. You've got, there's all these dynamics going through. But nonetheless, you've experienced the gospel. Don't you let... Don't you dare let the devil tell you that you're something less than what that Bible says just because of your struggles. My God, if I don't go in you, if I don't preach any further today, let me remind you that you have been called out. You have obeyed. It doesn't matter where you're at today. You obeyed. You obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you are here today. You are not on a bar stool. My God. We have been conditioned by our culture to think that what I'm feeling right now is my reality. Your emotions are not reality. In fact, one of the signs of clinical depression is a person that feels before they think. In other words, if I feel bad, I must be doing bad. No, that may not be the reality of it all. The word of God is reality. You have to line up your emotions to the word of God. And the Bible tells me God has not given you a spirit of fear Well, pastor, I have anxiety attacks. I rebuke that spirit by the authority of the name of Jesus. Well, pastor, I worry too much. Why don't you get back in your closet where it all started and find out that God is still on the throne and he still has a plan for your life. Somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. God is allowing all these things to work on the church to make us more spiritual. And if I get under that yoke with him, I'm gonna find out it's not near as bad as what the devil and my flesh were telling me it was. And I find out it's really light. In our text in the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul says, 
It's not another gospel. But there were Judaizers. The Apostle Paul was constantly dealing at some level or another of Judaizers. Some believe, some expositors believe that they actually followed him around and did nothing but try to confuse all the people he just got done talking to. Because he was still being held accountable as a traitor to Judaism. And the law and Abraham and Moses and everybody else. And so there were some that took it upon themselves to go behind the Apostle Paul and try to corrupt everybody they could from believing and experiencing the gospel. And so this is what we're seeing in Galatia. There were, there were people that were, that were trying to bring and actually kind of almost creating a hybrid gospel where it was part this and part that. It was part what he preached, but it's still, you know, you still got to do some stuff in the Old Testament. If you'll remember what took place in the book of Acts, the very first general council that they had, both of them were still dealing with the fact of how much of the residual of the Old Testament is still should still be practiced? Is it still is it still required by God? The complete and entire revelation of what God was doing in the New Testament was not available. It was still being revealed by the Holy Ghost. So there were people that were coming into Galatia that were saying, "You don't you don't have to listen to the Apostle Paul." And if they hated Paul, they tried to destroy his character. Said, you don't need to listen to that guy. He's a backslider. He's a backslid guy from Judaism. And he doesn't know what he's talking about. One place they called him a vain babbler. But the apostle Paul is saying, it is not another gospel. Look at verse number six. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. They were still, they were still amazed by personality. I'm gonna talk about that in a little bit. When you get into that um, shiny object, there are people that are swayed by personality. But the Apostle Paul is directly battling this right now. He's saying that somebody came in and said something and you're automatically in your gullibility you automatically listen to this. And he says, this is not another gospel. But there would be some that trouble you and would pervert, that means to change, the gospel of Christ. They would trouble you. What does this word trouble mean? It means to agitate. It means to cause inward commotion to take away calmness of mind, to disturb, to disquiet, to make restless, to stir up, uh, to strike one's spirit with fear and dread, to render anxious or distressed, to perplex the mind of one by suggesting scruples or doubts. So not only would people come in and try to sabotage what the Apostle Paul had done, but they would attack the character of the Apostle Paul. 
Why would they do such a thing? Or who would do such a thing? The Apostle Paul addresses this in verse number eight. But though we or an angel, now this is important because he says, but though a human or an angel, and the fact that he uses we is incredibly important because he was protecting them from a future version of Paul that maybe, and and I I really look at this and it, it makes me have an incredible respect for the Apostle Paul because he is saying that if I even come back to you and I am preaching something different to you than what you have originally received, that I'm to be accursed, even though I know you love me, even though you you wouldn't be here without me, and even though I'm responsible for uh, the good things that are happening. It is the message that's more important than a person and the supernatural, and I'm saying that because you get a lot of charismatic people that think that, oh, you know, we get all this feel-good stuff, and we have the same stuff you guys do, and yeah, but you ain't got the same message. If you don't baptize in Jesus' name, you need to go down in the name because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Don't tell me I need a philosopher. Don't tell me I need a degree. Don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm bound in the word of God. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. Or a slick personality. Oh man, have you seen this online preacher? Listen to this guy. You know, Pentecost is kind of crude from the other side of the tracks. Not this one. We used to be. We were on the other side of town, we were in the cheap seats. We were up in that 700 square foot office suite. Now, man, because of the faithfulness of God's people, look at this place. It's wonderful. You've done awesome. God's done great. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. Yeah. Man, look at this guy. I'm I'm not going to start throwing names out there. I could. They're on YouTube. They're on all this stuff. They don't look like us. They don't sound like us. But man, look at the, listen to this. I always have the same question, Brother Dalen. What's their message of salvation? What's, what's, what's their definition of the gospel? Just accepting Jesus as your Savior? Well, no, that's found in the book of Romans. You don't understand. That's a parenthetical passage of Scripture that was quoted originally from Joel in Joel chapter 2. It was also quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost. But that is not the version of salvation. That is talking about the Jews at the end time, at the end of the tribulation. They're going to call on the name of the Lord Jesus, and they will be saved. But everybody else has got to repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. 
The apostle Paul was so far advanced because of the Holy Ghost in him that he understood that it, all it would take is a human personality and it could get somebody to move from what they believed. Though we are the supernatural. Oh, pastor, I saw an angel. What'd they tell you? They said, man, you don't need to stay in this church and listen to all this stuff. Really? That reminds me with the angel. It was a serpent, a fallen angel. Told Eve, you shall not surely die. Did they die? Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are a byproduct of an angel talking to a woman by the name of Eve. First Timothy said it best that she was deceived. Is this too raw? Ladies and gentlemen, I do not care what anybody thinks. We are in the day and the hour where the church should not be worrying about how does our message fit in culture? I wonder if we need to have lights. I wonder if we need to turn the lights down. I wonder if we need to have blue lights. I wonder if we need to have this. I wonder if we need to have flashing lights. No, it's the message. It is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. Somebody shout and give him praise right now. No, well, you know, we, we, we can't really have church. One of our, one of our um, home missions pastors out of this church was telling me, Pastor, I really need to get live stream. You know, they had less than 50 people. I said, don't worry about getting live stream right now. Well, you know. Everybody else has got it. We got to have it. We, I built this church, this congregation. We did this, I did this for 28 years without live stream. I'm still debating to yank this thing out of the wall. I'm not sure we really even need it. We're not trying to fit in with Pentecost. I'm trying to get people to heaven. And it's by having one Lord, one faith. This is an entertainment for Pentecost. This is the gospel. Somebody needs to shout. Somebody needs to praise him. We are on our way to heaven. That's something to get excited about. That's something. Don't get worried. Somebody keeps leaving messages on our deal. Oh, thank God for the live stream. Well, thank you for putting that on there. I needed somebody to respond out there. I wanted to know that was doing somebody some good instead of, this ain't a fashion show. But you guys already know this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to try to correct anybody. I'm just saying we're not trying to fit in with anybody. We're not in a fashion show. We're not in a, sh- we're not in a shiny new object contest by saying, hey, look it up. No, 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 no. We, God has us here in a region to confront Spiritual wickedness at the highest levels. And we're going to keep dancing. I'm going to keep running. We're going to keep shouting. I'm going to keep preaching. And the Lord's going to add to the church daily. So, 
we or an angel. That's heady stuff. We're not going to turn there right now, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that even the devil is able to manifest himself as an angel of light. That's how, that is how critical it is to have the right biblical message of salvation. I did a little study here. Actually, it's been a few years, but I was, I was right, did a study on, I wanted to know where Mormonism came from. I'm not against Mormons. God bless them, ride their bikes. If they show up at your doorstep, man, have your Bible right there. They always got somebody a little older following with them to make sure they don't get talked out of that nonsense, but Oh, yeah, Joseph Smith. An angel by the name of Moroni showed him where the two tablets were in, El, is it Elmira, New York? So let me get this straight. Joseph Smith gets a private revelation from an angel on two tablets in which the Book of Mormon is based. If any man or any angel, did the Mormons not read that? I mean, I, how come everybody else gets to see angels? When I really need one, I don't, I don't get to see one. Seems like I'm just fighting all these devils, and right now, man, I could use an angel right now. Trust me. I don't want God to rebuke me, but trust me, that angel's right there. Because just when the devil thinks, I'm going to take this one out, the angel steps up and says, <clears throat> that angel's there. But see, in order for you and I to radiate like the sun, we got to play by the right rules. If any man's going to be crowned, he has to strive lawfully lest he is not crowned. You can't be a fornicator on the side and a claim to get wings and a, and a, and a crown. You, you gotta have all that stuff out. So Paul is saying that I don't care who comes and preaches another gospel let him be accursed. Now, I want you to understand that there are three different doctrines in the world today. There is the doctrine of God. It is right here. The word of God is the doctrine. Doctrine is teaching of God. There are doctrines of men. Go to Matthew chapter number 15. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. It is possible for people to get a hold of this book and so mutilate it and pervert it 
that it's no longer the doctrine of God. And then there are doctrines of devils, 1 Timothy 4 and 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, okay, that's about where Jesus said, do not be deceived, that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. This seducing spirits is not is not just sexual. When we think about seduction, we think about people that are being sexually seducted, and that's our world is highly suggestive and seductive. But this is talking about the spirit world that works on people's thinking, and it, 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 begin, it, it tries to insert reasoning and insert thinking. I want to tell you, this is no time to get away from Bible study. This is time when we need to have Bible study more than ever. I think we need a revival of the Word of God. I think we need a revival of doctrine. I think we need a revival of prayer. I think if you say, I don't want all that stuff, I'm not interested in it, you are subjected then to every wind of doctrine. And there's even, there's, in some areas, there's people that, that learn to get bitter at this. Because they, they, they take, a different, they're in, caught up in a different posture and they begin to view it differently instead of just the purity of what this is in the earth, that these really are God's people. And I know, I know that nobody's perfect and I know, that, uh, I know that nobody doesn't have all the answers and I know that it looks kind of plain and I know that it's out of step with culture and I know that, that we have our own way of doing a thing and this, this, this uh, it labors people. Some people, uh, they find that laborious. They don't find that a joy. It's because you don't understand the revelation of what this is. This is not just a, a group of people going through the motions. This is God's people. This is God's people. This is. You have to get a hold of your flesh and say, I don't care what this looks like. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I had that devil all over me when I came in this. That's right. When I first visited an apostolic church, that voice said, you want to look like this? Everybody looked like FBI agents, suits. I've never seen in my life women that look so pure and holy. I've never seen that before. And the devil was trying to portray it like it was some kind of weird Mennonite group that doesn't even have electricity. And this is, this is what you're going to buy into? You're going to come from lust of the flesh and lust of the eye and the pride of life wherever you want it, whenever you want it, however you want it, you're going to trade that for this? And I'm like, I'm like, no. Why? Because I didn't understand. But once the power started moving, this is why you got to understand, you can't just sit back and have a day off. Your worship might influence somebody. You getting liberated may lose God to touch somebody else. And that spirit got on me. And I said, this is from another world. Come on, clap your hands, lift your voice. This is not what you see. This is not what the world says it is. This is not what it appears to be. This is from another world. It's all about the doctrine. No other gospel.
We're living in a day and age of seduction in the spirit world. Voices that are talking people right out of their self. Well, hey, look at that over there. And just steal what God has for them. Look over there. Spirit, just steal that right from them. Hey, look over there. That's that voice, that spirit just. And you end up with what you want, but you lose what you had. No other gospel. What is the gospel? Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. This is the, this satisfies the interpretational rule of the rule of precedence. And biblically speaking, the rule of precedence is an all-powerful interpretational rule in the word of God that the first time you see something, it has a tendency more often than not, the majority of the time, to set a pattern for what is to follow. This is the first time that mankind has ever preached to another human being. Jesus has died, been buried, been resurrected, and ascended to heaven. They've gone back to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father. The Holy Ghost has fallen. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, 120 strong in that room. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They spill out until out on a cobblestone Jerusalem street. The locals that were there and they that were there for the Feast of Pentecost said, what is this? What meaneth this? And the apostle Peter begins to preach. And he preaches the first gospel message in the dispensation of the church. Let's read it together. Then Peter said unto them, repent. Repentance is the most enduring message in the entirety of the word of God. It's found all the way in Genesis and it goes all the way to the Revelation. So the most enduring biblical requirement of humanity is to repent. Every prophet preached it. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet among any other prophet, he preached it. Jesus himself preached it. The apostles preached it. And here it is on the day of Pentecost. Repent means to turn, to turn away from and to turn towards God. Repent and be baptized. That word baptizio means to be fully immersed. It doesn't mean sprinkle. It doesn't mean doused. It doesn't mean a birdbath style of, of baptism. It means to go under. And that's how you fulfill the burial. That's why in Romans chapter number six, it says buried with him through baptism. Because what is happening now is that a human being is actually articulating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so being buried in water articulates that burial. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? 
Well, how much time do you have? Why don't you cancel your lunch plans and let's talk? Nobody over here looks excited. <laughs> have you given up on pastor? Why is that important? Um, Brother Malachi, can you go to Matthew 28, verse number 18, real quick? Now, this is the very first, as I've already mentioned, and this fulfills a biblical interpretational rule. Next verse, please. So this is, this is known in Matthew 28. I want everybody to look at this. This is commonly known as the Great Commission. It is in Matthew 28, Mark chapter number 16, and Luke chapter number 24. They're harmonies of the gospel. Just like it was in Matthew 24, they had harmony of the gospel of that um, discourse by Jesus. This is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the same conversation. But Matthew's is by, by far the most descriptive. And listen to what Jesus said to the disciples. This is after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, but before his ascension. So you could easily dovetail Luke chapter, or pardon me, Acts chapter one into this because that was right before his ascension. Let's read this. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Go back to Acts 2.38 now. Just flip that back over. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, there's a distinction there. In Matthew's account, Jesus said, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In Peter's account, on the day of Pentecost, Luke, being the author, recorded it as being in the name of Jesus Christ for their mission of sin. What happened? What happened was, for the first several centuries, they obeyed Acts 2.38. The first several centuries of the apostolic church, they were all baptized in the name of Jesus. We know this because the latest record of it is in Luke chapter number 19. Do you have that on there? It's on my list that I sent you. Acts chapter 19, Verses five and six, okay. When they heard this, now this is, this is in Ephesus, which is a long ways from Jerusalem, and it's 22 years after the day of Pentecost, okay? So when somebody says, well, they just did that because it was on the day of Pentecost, no, 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 no. This is almost 25 years after what was preached on the day of Pentecost. 
This is the Apostle Paul preaching at Ephesus. And he said, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And put verse six up there so we can show what happens. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. The same people that resist Jesus' name baptism oftentimes resist speaking in under tongues, saying that both of them were just for the day of Pentecost, and it was different after that. This is, as I've already mentioned, this is 22 years after the day of Pentecost, and they're still being baptized in Jesus' name, and they're still speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. So where did the gospel change if there's only one? What happened was, and this is just a thumbnail sketch because you don't have time, you're hungry. You're already tired of pastor. And you're hungry. Is that between the third and fourth century, there were people that were brought into this discussion by the Roman Emperor Constantine. Constantine was a brilliant man. Brilliant man. He had already lost the entire eastern portion of the Roman Empire to the apostolic church. There was only one, there was only one gospel that established the church at Rome. There was only one gospel that established the church at Corinth. There was only one gospel that established the church in Galatia, there was only one gospel that established the church at Ephesus. There was only one gospel that established the church at Philippi. There was only one gospel that, have, that established the church at Colossae. There was only one gospel that established the church at Thessalonica. There was only one gospel. They had completely taken over the eastern part of the Roman Empire. But when Constantine was voted in, or however he got it, somebody was murdered. He said, since we can't beat them, let's join them. And he had a council at Nicaea where he said, all right, the entire Roman Empire is going to become now Christian. We have renamed Byzantium, it was called for millennia, Byzantium, which is known, it's on an isthmus, modern-day Istanbul, but he renamed it Constantinople as his way of trying to reclaim the eastern block of the Roman Empire. He said, I don't mind the Roman Empire becoming Christian, but we got to have a say so on what everybody believes. That's where they change baptism, folks. It is a recorded historical fact that they changed baptism in the fourth century. It is undisputed among biblical historians. It's, it's so accepted that you can wake somebody up in the 21st century and say, how were you baptized? Man, I, you don't even have to be baptized to be saved. The church I go to, man, you just, you, you just accept Jesus as your Savior and everything's great. Really? Is that not another gospel? No, I, I'm, you don't have to run the aisles or shout. Is that, is that another gospel? 
My God, yes, that's another gospel. That is not going to prepare a human being for the rapture. To prepare a human being for the resurrection, you've got to be buried with him in baptism and receive the power of his spirit. You're robbing people from salvation. You might culturally feel okay with the hundreds of denominational churches that are in our culture, but you're not preparing a human being to rise and meet him in the air. This is about eternity. This is not about fitting into the council of churches and having somebody on YouTube patting me on the head and you go, oh man, you guys, everything's great. And all the churches now, they're just competing with each other to see who can get the most worldly and who can have the best light show and the best sound system and the best worldly musicians. And now it's everything but the gospel. If you have not been born again of water and spirit, except a man is born again, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And if you have not been, uh, been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, I not only invite you, I command you to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you do, you'll receive the power of the Holy Ghost. And you, you receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Ain't no devil can ever stop you again if your mind's made up. Your flesh will never keep you back if your mind's made up. No lying voice between your ears will keep you at home if your mind's made Oh, come on, somebody. Nobody will keep you out of the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life is not some denominational sloppy agape. It is a record of those that have gone down in the name and filled with the power from another world. Let's stand to our feet and clap our hands and give him praise. Come on, somebody, give him praise. I was glad when they said unto me. I was glad that somebody told me the truth. I was glad that somebody said, this is what you got to do, and this is what you're going to get. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. My brothers and my sisters, this is the fundamental foundational responsibility of the apostolic church or a saint of God in the earth is to tell our world the truth. You're greatly loved, you're cherished, but you're deeply fallen. But Jesus has restored that relationship. Let's lift our hands and give him great praise. I want that kind of power. I want power over these habits. I need power over these convulsions. I need power over these things. They're destroying me. You need the power of a risen Christ. Come on, let's praise him.
Come on, let's praise him. Brother Jordan, if you'd come, somebody give him glory. I'm thankful that somebody preached to me the truth. I haven't been perfect, but that's not what this is about. It's about the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first. Barbarians, Gentiles, misfits, everybody in the name of Jesus. And so this is what we're going to do now. This is an opportunity for you and I to come and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor, how do I do that? Well, it really begins in your heart. It begins in your heart. When you come to the altar, it's a place to just say, Jesus, I live my whole life trying to make it happen, trying to make it work. And I want you in my life. Forgive me for my words. Forgive me for my thoughts. Forgive me for my actions. Forgive me for where I've been. Forgive me for what I've done. And God will immediately forgive you. But then after you repent, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins and let God fill you with the power of his spirit in the name of Jesus. Can we love him one more time? That's available to every single human being, not just in this room today, but in this entire community. And that is the gospel, the power of God, the power of God, the power of God the power of God. Come on, this altar's open. Wherever you are, whoever you are. Maybe you just want to come and pray. Maybe you just want to say, God, I, 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 I know I need more. I know I need what you got for me. I, I want everything you've got for me. This altar's open to you. Come, bring somebody with you. Bring somebody by the hand in the name of Jesus. Come on, Cornerstone, help us pray. Find somebody. Let's pray with somebody.